for just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Can you believe it? It's been 10 weeks. For 10 weeks, we've had a blast sharing our preseason elk hunting guide with each and every one of you. All about the what, when, where, why, and how of elk hunting. But tonight, we're taking it one step further, y'all. We're going live to answer questions from our Elk Bros mailbox and from you, our grinders. So here's your chance to ask those lingering questions or discuss those topics you're still wondering about. Strap it on, y'all, because it's going to be full on. So my friends, pull up a chair, adjust your volumes just right, and welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting, brought to you by ElkGrows.com, with your host, Gilbert Ornelas, and elk hunting coach, Joe Gillian. You want to hunt elk? They live to hunt elk. Their goal is to share with you what they have learned grinding it out for over 35 seasons, doing what they love. So come on into camp and set a spell. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunters. Hello there, everyone. If it's your first time with us, glad to have you. Hope you enjoy our show. And for those of you live with us tonight on YouTube, as well as those blue collar hunters following our show and grinding it out with us every week, welcome back to Elk Camp. I'm Gilbert Ornelas, the host of your show, coming to you from Spring, Texas. And that's right, from the DFW area in Katy, Texas, we got the Venezuelan mafia in the house. Luis yeah. Gonzalez and Manuel Gratteron. Like and from order. Cimarron, your elk hunting coaches are in the house tonight. Leroy the Ninja Chavez, and that's right, WWJGD. What would Joe <laughs> Chilia do in all that snow, Joe? What's going on, brother? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got lots of snow, man. We're just glad that tonight happened, man. Absolutely. Uh, it was not looking good earlier today with power outages. Hey, everybody. Uh, hey, guys, man. Um, hey, Joe, are, are we are we live yet? Yes, we are live, bro. Because I don't see it in the webpage, man, and the yeah, YouTube. We're, we're yeah. live right now, buddy. We're live right now. It's just live. All right, yep. man. Straight <laughs> up. <laughs> and to everybody watching, uh, Tim Rieger, Shane, Tony Brown, John, all you guys, man, start putting your name where you're from so people learn, and uh, we can give shout-outs as we go. Sean, John Child, man, look at all these people. Scott, Scott Baker, Baker, Charlie oh, cool, Sean Dawson. Charlie made it. Sean Dawson. Yeah. Everybody's in the house, man. So uh, you start cranking on that typing, man. and uh, I will, brother. So listen, everybody. Um 
what we want to do is we're going to go ahead and let you know how this is going to work. Uh, everybody, feel free to ask us any questions during the show. The guys will be kind of jotting those down, looking for them and bringing them up if we don't see it right away because you guys are a little bit of a 30-second delay uh, from what we are doing right now. So uh, if it comes up, Look at that. John Johnson, Minnesota. Hey, there's Diego Otero, yeah. man, and Elmer. I saw Richard Flock in the house. Scott Baker from Parker. Mike Wilson from Ogden, Utah. Woo! Shane Rasmussen from Garden City, Utah. <laughs> man, we are all over the place. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. This is Eric way cool, on, man. On the next rid, what's up, Eric? Pueblo. So, guys, remember Austin Bohannon from Bastrop, Texas, in the house. Look you there, Bastrop. So, if you guys have a question or comment um, to a particular person, make sure you direct it to them. That way, you know when you're saying how great Manano is, Luis isn't taking credit. You know, so we don't, <laughs> yeah. we don't want that occurring. Okay, right? we don't if want you, any liars. We don't want yeah. any liars. We want. If you all have a, if you have a question about beaches, please direct it to Joe. <laughs> <laughs> or or Jeff, don't even ask me about beach. Um, we will also be adding some of our Elk Bros mailbox questions during the show, as well as asking you guys some things as well out there. So, uh, again, remember we do have a delay. So you know, after we ask it, it might take us a few seconds before we see it. All right. So hopefully that all works out. Got it. Got it. Yeah. And let's see. Oh, uh, Manano. Yes, sir. If, if they have any Venezuelan mafia applicants in the crowd. Yeah, that's going to be me answering those questions because Luis is not a, I mean, <laughs> I don't consider okay. Luis a Venezuelan. Hey, I, I'm sorry, but they're already saying it. Look, man, Luis is the Venezuelan, uh, the leader of the Venezuelan mafia. So. <laughs> oh, they're not. Scott Baker, man. That's hey, and one of the things that the people are is requesting is to please not, that we don't, they don't need any information about the man pawn. So let's keep, <laughs> let's keep that out of the conversation today. Come on, fellas. You bet you, Charlie. No worries, man. I got you covered, man. Most people want to know about it. Char oh, Charlie, Charlie Newberry texted me and said, I just had to look it up. And he said, after I looked it up, man, he said, uh, he, was, he was rolling, man. <laughs> look, I can't take credit for that. That's Big Black Boy. Can they come out with that? Y'all watch the show. Big, <laughs> Big Black, Big Black. I mean, look, it's, it's Chris Boykin who passed away, but he's the one that aired it on the Rob Deerdick show. Everybody that's asked me, I was like, you know, guys, we can't make this crap up, man. It's just, it's, just <laughs> it's a real deal. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. So, um, yeah. Oh, the other thing is, hey, Chav, if any of these guys, man, um, if they have a favorite honey hole, what should they be doing, man? I just send us the coordinates. We'd <laughs> 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 be happy to help. Yeah. And who knows, we might end up up there too. So. <laughs> oh, and before we, you know, we started to shout out, I want to give a special shout out too to Marshall Hayes. Uh, Marshall sent uh, something in to me and he says that according to UNESCO, now I'm sure all you guys are up with what UNESCO is, right? Mm -mm. No, no, and, no, you don't know. 
UNESCO is the United Nations Educational, <laughs> Scientific, and Cultural Organization. And he says that according to UNESCO, he is from the city that offers the best 23 miles of flavorful meals. It's known as the city of gastronomy. You know what that is? <laughs> no. Because I, I always thought well, we're going to take his word for it, Joe. <laughs> it, it's Tucson, Arizona. Tucson, Tucson Arizona. Arizona. I've been to Tucson for sure, but I didn't know it had 23 miles of flavorful <laughs> meals. But yeah. I'm going to check it out when I'm there next time, Mr. Marshall Hayes. Uh, well, <laughs> I got here, Mr. Eric Arangon. Uh huh. Arango, Manano es el más chingón. Oh, Eric, I love you, buddy. Thank you very much. Yeah, and then and then read and then read who's the, he's actually getting uh, uh, upgrades and improvements from from down below. El más chingón. He's saying, Luis, you got me upgraded to some serious error bombs, and they are hitting hard. What have you done for him, Manano? Well, no, but he's the chingón. At least, no at least, I made him laughing really hard <laughs> oh we got uh mr Derek baker he's oh, he's the most chingon mm -hmm. he's the one I, i'm gonna get this rolling while we're going here and we when we catch some of this because yeah scott baker's already on uh how many ply toilet paper and everything <laughs> oh, boys i'm gonna tell you what don't mess with the charman okay no charman no, is the no, best no, no. But, but what I want to do now is, it. is oh, we have 10 weeks, man, over 10 weeks, we've been covering That's right, Joe. a ton of topics, man. We, we covered on commitment, uh, preseason tips and focus areas, the best week to hunt elk in 2021, conditioning, situational prep and scenarios, mindset, learning to paint with your elk calling, elk scouting focus and then we went to gear and setups man so we've been covering a bunch of different stuff and what i would like from you guys that are watching is i we're interested to know from you what was your favorite topic that we covered in the series and maybe a short reason why so if you'll kind of start putting that in we'll start asking you know we'll start hitting a little bit of that um but let me ask you guys, let's, let's ask ourselves, uh, the crew here, um, which of these were some of your favorite topics or discussions that we had in the series? Well, for me, All Joe, learning to paint with your elk calling. Uh, I mean, you know, I get down to brass tacks. That's what, you know, I'm trying to get better at every day, you know, in uh, I thought it was really cool how we broke it down, you know, and broke it down on what bulls want. You know, we want to be a lover first before a fighter. And, you know, I just thought it was really cool how we broke it all down and, and set it up for our listeners to really understand the different scenarios that we had and be able to, to use that when they go out in the woods, you know, when they go out there and have their own encounters. I think that was, you know, I think anybody that's, that's an elk hunter, uh, that's done this before calling is just uh, imperative that you have that skill set in your in your quiver you know no absolutely I, I you know i could tell from the response that we got from the calling series there that there were a lot of people 
that uh, that were into that man. And, and I hate to make shameless plugs, but I'm gonna. Our base camp series, the best series out there that you've ever that, that's out there. I mean, if you guys go to it, it's got scenario based calling in it, the whole nine yards, what to do, when to do how to you know mess with a bull that hangs up it's fantastic and if you guys haven't gone through it y'all are missing out yeah yeah i think a lot of people uh, get that opportunity to get uh close up and personal but you know they want to know how to close the deal and i think we'll be getting some questions about that and yeah you know over the week joe i had a guy send me a question and he was like you know Gilbert, i really appreciate what you said is that you know if you get a bull to respond and come into you it's a win you know, and, and I, I'm like, guys, y'all can't, y'all got to understand that, yeah, the harvest is the coup de gras, no doubt, but you got to take wins when you get them. And, you know, it's for us, it's about the hunt too, right? So if I get a bull to come in and I get him on a string and, you know, Lady Luck would have it that the winds, the God, winds of the gods that blow the wrong direction and he blows out there. At least I've taken winds away from that because I've had an opportunity. You know, I count all of those opportunities as winds because it's a hard sport that we do. You know, I, I've said this a thousand times that you know, we can win and play bad when we play on the playing field and we can lose and play our best game. We don't have any control of winning and losing. Right. But what we do have control of is our attitude and effort that we put into it. So, I mean, you guys got to take these wins out uh, when you get a bull to respond and come in. And sometimes it's just not going to work out, but you got to take away from that what you did right. Yeah. I, I agree. I mean, I, th I think definitely the, the painting the picture um, was was awesome. I think just the way that uh, podcast flowed was excellent. I mean, it, it just it just uh, and people got to understand we don't really script these. Right. I mean, Joe, you kind of give us bullet points. We add to them, take away whatever, and then you just kind of put them out there and then the conversation goes and and. And uh, I think it, that one podcast just kind of flowed really well and it was very structured and, and super informative. And, and the other, a lot of people making comments also, we got Mike Wilson and Eric Argon also talking about um, the, uh, the mindset, just like, uh, like, uh, like Beto is saying, you know, Mike is saying, Hey, you, you don't have your, your mindset, right. You know, nothing else matters. And, and, uh, and, there's there's a ton of truth to that so yeah. i uh i really enjoy that podcast as well uh i think all of them are ultimately necessary everything that we have spoken i think has got there's so much good content in there but the the mindset uh, also definitely top two for for me as well yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and i I, did, I got a question that was out there that says um and i and i think you kind of answered it a little bit um that we worked through it but we had a question that asked, do we let the moon phase dictate when uh, we hunt or do we just cut right through it? And, you know, uh, the, the, the moon is going to dictate your possibilities. What the, right. What the animals are going to do. Yeah. So actually, it, it, you change, you, you always adapt to the situation. And if we have a full moon and let's say that that full moon is rising 
it's already rising right when it's getting dark on us. Um, that's a great opportunity to stay out because bulls are going to start cranking, man. They're going to start bugling as soon as it gets dark in the, under that moonlight. And they'll be cranking most of the night out there. And it's a good way to get out there and just locate them in the dark, mark them on your base map GPS, and then be on them just like a turkey on a roost first thing yeah. in the morning, man. That's right. And, and you're on them. Or if it, you know, even if it doesn't, if you have a late rising moon they're still going to start cranking at night there as soon as it starts to get dark chav you remember there was that one bull that i kept chasing in the bottom area um years ago where you and i near the what we used to call the hidden park and that i would be in there working this area for this bull guys um all, all day long and when would he bugle chav do you remember well, if it's the one that i'm thinking of uh Real early or real late? Exactly. You know, I would be in his bedroom area, man, and this guy would not start bugling until after shooting light. And it drove me nuts, man. But then he was cranking all night long in the full moon. So I was able to try to work and be on him first thing in the morning, man. Are you guys checking out some of the stuff that's coming across? Yeah, for yes. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm fighting with Luis. I'm fighting here with Luis. Yeah. He's, he's, he's teeth talking. See, you know? see, see, this is where our viewers are going to get a complete understanding, man. We have them live so that we can communicate with them. And now Luis and Manano have found a way to argue on the phone. Yes. And, and, and let me tell you. I don't, know. You, I don't know who he's arguing against. I'm not even responding. He just wrote one sentence in there. Well, but let me tell you, really. It's when he's actually wanting to talk about me. He's oh, hey, probably, the last three podcasts, he's probably said 10 words, and they had all been related Look, uh, about Sean me. Dawson so that tells you something. Down, man. Sean Dawson just said he would donate one subscription if someone here does not have the base camp first one dimension oh, my name look at that gets the subscription man oh how that's cool fantastic that? sean we appreciate cool, sean that. thank that's you awesome. um, that's really cool y'all jump on that man if you don't have a subscription you better share oh, oh, oh there's see, ed morris just ed morris just got it man so oh, ed, ed morris ed morris just ed got it said uh Manano, he was like uh, he liked all the episodes. He just, he's anxious to see you be able to uh, pronounce the Louisville. <laughs> Louisville. Louisville. I, hey, of course I learned it was Louisville. So Louisville that's, you know, to Louisville. them boys out there. Yep. We have team Rager. Luis, listen to your leader. Thank you, team. Oh my, you don't even know who he is? That's so awesome, You don't Sean. even know who Tim oh, is. Going you neither, man. <laughs> hey, Tim, go ahead and tell Manano. Hey, let's not make this the whole friggin' show, y'all. Hey, that's what the public wants, dude. I'm yeah. sorry, bro. I mean, you, you brought the Venezuelan mafia on board for a reason. Yeah. So and now you're going to have to deal with it, bro. You're going to have to reap step the back here for a second now, Joe. and just yeah. deal with this thing for a little I'm bit. I'm learning so, my <laughs> Joe, on your podcast. please get back a little bit, Joe. Get back. No, but seriously, guys, uh, anything, be. any questions? Uh, we had... How many episodes were there again, Joe, for the series? So, ten. were eight episodes, but it was ten weeks because ten weeks. we doubled on yeah. two up. So, so the whole idea, Joe, is to just any questions you have on all of those episodes, you all have us here live ready to answer questions and ready to help out and just clarify anything that uh, 
you know, that, that you may have doubts on well, with regards and, to the series, yeah, correct? And I want you to think about which of the topics that we covered, guys, were the most difficult for you or are the most difficult for you. And if you have any more questions, like I saw a question from Scott Baker, he, you know, this is the second one on the moon. You know, it's like, do we get out earlier in a full moon? Heck yeah. Man, absolutely, man. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Don't change anything you're doing to worry about the moon other than understand the animals are going to change up a little bit. But yeah. you go hunting, get in them woods, brother. And it don't matter if the moon's full or not. I'm going to tell you right now, man, Joe and I, we, we hunt when we can. We don't care about the moon. You know, I mean, obviously, we'd like to have the premier days closer to the equinox, yada, yada. My man, I mean, me and this cat been hunting together for 12 years, and it didn't matter if it hair-lipped the damn governor. We were going if it was full moon or not, you know, so, and we've been successful. So, I'm going to tell you right now, man, uh, get out in the woods and go elk hunting. Yeah. You know, dang the moon. But, you know? but also, <laughs> it's kind of like when you get snow on the ground, you know, yeah. you lot the asset. You yeah. know, if you get snow on the ground, well, we were able to track. I if know exactly. If you moon up at night. Yeah. Get out in it because yeah. that's when they're going to be the most active. And yeah. Eric, Eric Aragon said he'll donate uh, uh, a base camp as well. That's awesome, Eric. Thank you, man. Oh, man, that's so cool, dude. That's that's what I'm talking about. It's just this kind of networking. And look, man, I was thinking about that, Joe. It's, uh, it is so neat to see the group of people, the the true grinders, the true followers of the show just quality people man everybody that constant constantly reaches out and has communication with us i mean there's just a, a list of guys that they're all awesome i just yet to find a guy that you know communicates with us that is you know not a guy that i wouldn't invite to a camp you know what i mean it's just every everybody's oh, yeah. a, a excellent people at least once a comment i even got a criticism from one of our uh listeners that he's like he really loves our stuff and he says but gosh darn it takes y'all so long to get to your topic because of all this other stuff that we did, right and uh that's and true what, and what was cool was it wasn't like you know you guys suck man you need to get to the topic I mean, he, he was like, I really love your stuff, but gosh darn, man. And and we had a conversation about that, a little brief sure. thing. It's like, don't think I'm hating, y'all. Uh, I'm not. And I was like, no, far from it. Hey, listen, guys, we are here for you. Anytime you have suggestions, wants, needs, let us know. Yeah. And if you don't think we're accessible, talk to some of these cats that are on here right, right now that we have called, text, emailed personally multiple times. I mean... Uh, we try to be very accessible on yeah, that. Yeah, there, there's no uh, dumb question, you know, just ask. Mm -hmm. And uh, I guess I'll go ahead and get it started from the mailbox. Jason Keith from Montana wants to know, how long should a diaphragm call last? Do you replace them in a few days, once a week, every season? How can you do to help them last? What can you do to them? Oh, to what can you do last? to help them last, right? Yeah. yeah. I use mine seasons. I mean, a couple of years I've had same same call, you know. Keep it, keep it dry. I keep them dry and put up. So I, I use a lot of calls, man, and yeah. I'm always cranking on them because, and, 
you know, guys, it's really going to depend on your call style. So remember, there's latex on a diaphragm call. If you are putting all kinds of pressure with your tongue and cranking hard on that, and it's a thin latex, you're going to blow it out. And after a while, that cow call is going to sound horrible. Cat callish. Yeah, it, it starts getting horrible. So how long it's going to last is kind of dependent on how you call. Now, I'll tell you this. I carry about four or five calls with me when I'm out during the day. Yeah. As soon as one starts to get over warm and I can hear a change in the tone, I go to a different one so that I don't blow that one out. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I have game time calls. So like during game time, I only use those during game time. They they are proven performers. So I don't blow them all the time. I, I'll I'll take another one out of the package and I'll get it tuned up to where it's game time ready, right? So I'm not blowing them all the time. Uh, I'm using like other it. calls to blow and keep keep. And I, I also have different calls like Joe does, one for cow, soft cow calling. And then I might, if I need to scream a big challenge bugle, I might change calls because I like a real higher pitched, harder, raspier tone with that call. Very few times can I imitate exactly what I want out of just one call. Right. Yeah. You know, I have, I have a thin latex that I really like for cow calling that if I'm in a situation with a bull coming in, I can still crank out a bugle. Yeah. But that's not what I'm going to use if I'm bugling all day. I'm going to use a little thicker latex when I'm cranking out bugles, but it's not my favorite cow call. Now, I really like the amp gray because I found (laughs) that the amp gray is pretty much you can do both. Yeah, universal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my nano goes through several uh, diaphragms in a day. Uh, <laughs> normally, I've seen that. Yeah, so I, I see how that's very important. The only diaphragm I have is mine, the internal one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought he was going straight to his back. Like, no, no, it's still, <laughs> still rated on. But. But to answer your question on how to help them last, when you come home, see, I, I use them throughout the season because I guide too. So I'm using yeah. them months, man. That's right. uh, and what I do, or even like, you know, when you get home, if you practice with them in your vehicle, don't leave them in your vehicle. Don't no. leave them in heat. Heat and right. latex are not no friends, good. man. Mm-mm. So uh, the best thing to do with your calls is to put them in the refrigerator. Mm-hmm. Keep them nice and cool and keep them dry, just like that. So um, the cool thing is, too, and – you know, we have these we have these reed quivers that we put on our hat. And uh, this will be the first year I'm using the reed quiver because I love the idea that I'm actually able to go ahead and stick my diaphragm call right in there so that mm-hmm. it is going to get dried out. It's not going to end up in something where it stays all wet. Um, if, if I want to switch it out and I'm able to grab it, I know where it's at right away if I need to put that yeah. in my mouth. Because... The other thing I do is I chew on them so much that I yeah. I squeeze the doggone glue mm-hmm. out of them. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. mine breaks down because I it's in my mouth all day, you know. And I yeah. and I have a tendency to start like biting hard on it for some reason. I when I put it on the side, I kind of start biting and then just just Especially tear them up. Especially when my nano pisses you off, man. Oh, that's yeah. You know, you know a bad. good solution for that issue is to blend it with a little bit of scotch during the. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, they getting the It'll make you laugh. They getting the full money tonight. We told y'all in the intro, y'all better buckle up. It's full on tonight, fellas. That's hey, the Joe, truth, man. One, one of the things about the one of the things does not mix. One of the, one of the things about the the holder, uh, Joe, is I had my doubts with it last season, and I was about to buy one, and I was like, hmm, I'm not 100 percent sure. But then when I got there and saw you, you had one, and and then you know the ones you sent us, it's like, man, these are solid, and these because my fear was that the two fingers on top were didn't have enough pressure to hold the diaphragm, and I was like, man, I know me, I'm gonna be kind of leaning down, move my head or something, and they're gonna fall off. Yeah, they don't. They don't. I actually, I really I like actually bought them. I actually bought a camo hat the other day that's got them right here on the bill. It's like a little net, and you just yeah. stick it in that net. It's pretty cool. Oh yeah. Yes, you know that, that the turkey hunters has started. Yeah. Uh, well, I have a, a, a just an addition to to the question is uh, what would you recommend for a beginner? You know, I, I tried the native by Carlton, the right. red, and that's pretty easy to use. Mm -hmm. What would you recommend, Joe? Or, so uh, I recommend anything that's narrow and soft. So um, I I think out of the box, I think out of the box that some of the two best calls are. If you get um, the All Star um, uh, or the Contender from uh, Elk 101, or if you get the Black, the Amp Black, it's very, very soft latex. It's perfect for cow calling. You can get some bugle out of that. If you get that Amp Black and that Amp Gray, I think you're really, really set on something like that. And I'm going to come back to this here, but. Patrick Drummond, guy, you asked, um, you said you missed the dates that we said were the best dates to go for archery. I want all you guys to know, if you go to our website, elkbros.com, up there on the top menu, there's a thing that says season planning. If you'll click on that, it's got, you can see where we have the archery calendar in there. Um, we also, I also have my pack dump in there. And there was one other thing that we have in there right now as well. So... Um, you can go check that on the site for that. Hey, okay. um, Joe, I got I got a question here, and uh, John Johnson's is saying I'm panicking, trying to decide what unit to apply, and my hunting partner is making decisions for me, but I'm unsure of the depth of research he has done. What should I do? You, you tell him, dude, back off. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, if, if if you want to be, if you're going to be partners in this, and you're not sure of it, now it depends. Now if if the, if the uh, draw application date is like coming up pronto, pronto, he's probably wanting to make sure you get in. If that's not the case, well, you guys need to communicate, man. Um, and I find out why he's so set on that because he might have some information or some knowledge about that area that you don't. Um, if he's your partner, he might have shared that with you. So there could be intricacies there that I don't know or I don't know if you know. But if I have a buddy that's like, well, we're going to hunt right here and you're paying for where you want to go to, I'd be like, what research have you done? Let's talk yeah. about this. Man. Yeah, John, see, I like to be on the other end of that uh, of that spectrum, right? See, I'm the one that have to do the research and then make decisions for Manano. And I'm the one that has to support all those things because I, I'm, I'm a victim. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm the victim one. Yeah. And, and look, guy, you know, to add what Joe was talking about, 
the real easy calls right out of the package. I happen to have a Century Black Primos call right here, and Joe knows it. The black is one of my the black and the white are two of my favorite calls. They're very easy to blow right out of the package, guys. But at the same That's time, let me make sure because I did up <clears throat> with Gilbert years ago so that he's able to use that and i taught him how to tune one of those things yeah i have to actually trim it because it's big and i have a smaller palette so i have to trim it around the edges so if it doesn't fighting down the palette plate or lifting the palette plate yeah Yeah. if it but lately the ones i've been pulling right out of the pack they've been already ready to rock and roll so i haven't had that issue but i still have to trim around the black part because i have a smaller palette so you guys if it doesn't fit your palette it feels real big just take your take your uh scissors out and your your uh uh, you know, snips or whatever, and just trim around the edge, go small, you know, eighth inch at a time until it gets to where it fits real good. But, I, man, I'm telling you, the sweet little sounds it makes is phenomenal. One, one thing, uh, Joe, that they're asking here, and uh, I'm going to have to put my pride aside, uh, <laughs> oh, is uh, they're, they're asking uh, who is the best caller out of all, us all five. And I'm going to have to say definitely Manano. Uh, it's uh, it's, it's the best not. color we have no, out Joe here. Joe Gillian. <laughs> Hands down, every day, twice on Sunday, Joe's much better at calling. Um, yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no doubt. He's the best Jeez. I've ever been around. And I've been around a bunch of guys that can blow a reed. But uh, yeah, I've never, speaks the I've never seen anybody pull bulls and, and just – it's like having a remote control in his hand. He steers them left and right. <laughs> I, I can tell you this. I get better when I'm around him. So yeah. with, if Joe and I set up on a scenario, mm, it's, it's going to be a show. It's going to be a show. And yeah. what about Chaff? I have seen Chaff pulling yeah, all man. those L2. Absolutely. He got the, he's a silverback. He's a real one. It's so you all guys are watching live. Shane Tough. struggled with the Rocky Mountain calls and that Phelps have always worked. And he says he used Primo's years before. Primo's was pretty much the one that you could find years before, man. They kind yeah. of set, they yeah. set the tone and they started with the pallet plate before the people really started working. Even though Rocky Jacobson came up with the pallet plate, Primo's yeah. was the one that kind of got known for that. But mm. uh, and, and you're right. If you get um, – there is a three pack that you can get both on. There's even a series. It's called a pitch black series that you can get from uh, Phelps that mm-hmm. has a one, two, and three that are different latex. That I like the amp series. It's like a. It, it's this bright yellow like that, and this is a one right here. So there's three of them that are like that, and then there are the three that you can get from. Uh, Rocky Mountain Elk calls as well. I think a lot of it, guys, man, is once you learn. Once you learn to start handling latex, I think you can just put about any call in uh, and and make it work for you. you you're not going to always get the same exact tone because it depends on the latex that you have there. Okay? Um, yeah. yeah, the kind you have to tune, yeah, is, is the... Um, so let me think here. I just lost my train of thought. Oh, you got to tune the ones that we had before were the Primos. And what happens with the Primos is the metal pallet plate is kind of a square plate that attaches. And 
if you want to make it so that it's easier, if you bite down on it, if you bite that palate plate down so it's closer to the latex, it's easier to get a cow sound. If you, I usually take my teeth in between and kind of wedge and make it at a wider gap, and then it makes it a little bit easier to do bugles with like that. Um, yeah, but they've gotten better, man. Yeah. They've gotten better and the tone's a lot better on them. I don't have to do that anymore. The last five or six calls I bought, I've bought from the century, it's not, you haven't had to bite down on them, you know? Um, right. so it's, it's been really good. Like I said, when I'm pulling right out of the package and, yeah, and, and really get it to whine, I, I really like that. But look, every one of these calls that Joe's talked about from amp, from Phelps, from uh, all of them take some, you know, getting used to how to blow them. You guys got to spend time with them, you know, break the latex in, blow some real hard bugles out of them. And the that's more- a great point, Gilbert, because some of them that you might not like at first. Yeah. Uh, after you scream some bugles on it for yeah, a while, it'll it start to break up. that latex in. Yeah. And it could be, you know, the Maverick was like that for me. Yeah. You no. Know? And the Maverick just seemed really harsh. And so I just started getting going to town on it. Yeah. And man, all of a sudden it starts sweetening up. The other thing is, is I think after you work a certain latex for a certain amount of time, you start to get a feel for the latex and you start to know how to handle that pressure for that particular latex but i'm gonna tell everybody volume over pressure and in other words if if i have a call in my mouth you hear how tight that latex is right now drive just coming off but if i was to go now watch when i just sound like luis when he started now uh this might Probably still do sound no, like that every once in a while, bro. Not, dude. <laughs> so this this might blow out, and you might not hear the high note on this. Uh, so let me see if I can get this away a little bit. If I just give more volume, I'm just yeah, pushing on the diaphragm, man. Yeah. Just pushing on that. Did did it blow out? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just a little. Yeah. So sorry about that, y'all. I don't have the mic set up, and we're on YouTube, so I'm not able to get to it. So, so Joe, while we're on the topic of calling, uh-huh. um, our friend Derek Baker is asking, hey, do you have any tips on how to call elk over a ridge? I seem to always see elk when cresting a ridge with them about 200, 300 yards away. Yeah. So that means you're on top of the ridge and you're seeing them down on the other side right. about 200, 300 yards away. So, uh-huh. Derek, the, the best thing to do for that is is to go down and get on their level, first of all. If you see them 200, 300 yards away, uh, you can bring them up. I've done that and I've done it with scenarios. So what I do is I do that scenario of me being uh, a bull with cows or a herd that's on the move. And that bull is just doing that location bugling where he's just telling the ladies, here I am, or I'll start to go into where I start to use some of those rutting sounds that I'm going to use with them, but I will move. I'll start on that side of the ridge and I'll move actually away from the bull on the other side, like I'm going over and I'll kind of hang on the side, maybe come back a little bit with some lost cow calls and then start moving back again so that, I give the illusion of something that's on their side, but going the other direction to try to pull them my way. That's exactly um, what I did with Luis and Manano when Luis got his bull the one year. I mean, I just kept pulling myself further and further away to sound naturally like an animal. That was a 45-minute 
process yeah. of, I mean, it, it, I would have been seeing yellow little stars here after, you know, trying to freaking call for 45 minutes. We were, <laughs> we were both like, man, Joe's got to be winded out by now. We, we better tell him that they're gone. And just when we said that, <laughs> they all turned around and started coming our way and we're like, holy crap, here they yeah, come. I've, so I've witnessed, yeah. I've witnessed him call them incredible. half mile, three quarters of a mile off over a barrier around the woods, you know, past the manure pile, across the creek, through a wallow, and straight up a mountain. Uh, I'm serious, three quarters of a mile away, we heard bull bugling, and like a string, here he comes, because this guy can call. He can make a bull mate a black stump. I am not kidding. I mean, the guy, and I'm I'm saying that lightly. If Image was here, he would say it differently. But at the end of the day, Joe Gillia can turn elk from ridge to ridge. But it yeah. took a tremendous amount of understanding of what that bull is telling you. Uh, and, and look, when he did it for me, that bull would answer back and then he'd be closer. And we're like, hmm, okay. You know, and then finally he shut up and act like he wouldn't talk at all until I seen him walk in a waller way down below us on, on the mountain. Yeah. And uh, Joe actually caught him back in. I mean, yeah. look, these guys are these guys are the best in the world. And I saw a question here, Joe. Guys are asking, hey, man, did Gilbert go skiing or what? Because he's got the raccoon eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Fellas, this is what it looks like down here in the spring in the south when you're on the front end of that skeeter. We're working on them green trout down here. Uh, you know, before I was uh, an elk hunter, I've been a bass fisherman all my life. So my son fishes uh, in, a, in a club here uh, at the Klein Oak Fishing Team. Heck and of a fisher. And he's a really good fisherman. So we uh, we fish tournaments together, and he's working on becoming his own little pro. And uh, I mean, he's a really good fisherman. So we spend some time on the water. Uh, I fished a, a, a oil field event this weekend called the Texas Oilman's Bass Invitational. We raise money every year for the Texas Children's Hospital here in uh, Houston, Texas. So that's why you see we wear. We wear very good sunglasses. Uh, Costa Del Mar's no plug for Costa. They don't sponsor us or anything. But at the end of the day, that's what we wear, 580G lenses, and no sunlight gets through. We wear sunscreen on our faces because we don't want melanoma. And at the end of the day, this is the lenses for what keep the sunlight off our face. Hey, um, a quick, a quick, uh, quick shout-out here from, from the guys to Mr. Chaff, uh, Tim is saying, hey, first I gotta say it's so cool to follow Chav's recovery. Thanks, thank you, Chav, for being so open. Keep her, keep her going, man. And then uh, you know, Mr. Mike Wilson also saying, team, so agree. Chav is such an inspiration. I think we all agree with that, and we're so happy to have you here with us today, Chav. And such good conditions and full recovery mode, and you know, aiming, aiming for the screaming this year. Oh, oh yeah, appreciate it. Yeah, I think I'm uh, probably at 85% now. Wow. Still trying to get more feeling in my knees and ankles. Uh, I can, I'm sure I could uh, hunt from a ground blind or a tree stand right now. But, uh, you know, where we walk, it's pretty rugged and, you know, still got to get that uh, balance a little bit better. But I am getting stronger by the day. Yeah, and awesome, Jeff. Hey, if you guys could see what he does every day, man. Uh, none of us would ever complain about trying to get in shape for anything and, mm -hmm. and just trying to get back to 
where he was. So he's um, our hero. Look, yeah, and that guy can walk you into the ground, brother. Yeah, I mean, put in about six hours a day. You know, when I, when I break it up, when I add it all up together, but nothing else to do except watch Netflix. So the only thing is, is <laughs> my daughter, my daughter was one of his athletes who he used to kill in track and field, and she's like, so. Get with it, Uncle. <laughs> <laughs> no mercy. Pity for him after the workouts that he put her through, man. Right. Right. Yeah, I'm trying to trying to beat uh, his daughter. See who walks first. <laughs> That's cool, man. Yeah, yeah, normally. Yeah, the granddaughter. Yeah. Um, and yes, you're right. Um, I, I saw Derek. It definitely is ignoring, man. And. It's not always a party party because when I think of an elk party, that's when we do kind of multiple bulls yeah. coming in that are signifying a hot cow. We're playing parts. But when I'm doing it on my own, I will sound, I will make a lot of low guttural bull noises and more cow calls than, than I do. So I'll do a lot of glunking. Um, I'll do a lot of uh, panting, moans, groans, some partials, you know, those types of things. So when, uh, if you start hearing I got Virulakis. Yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those things that um, those kinds of noises and if I just if I do that alone, other bulls hear that and you mix that with the cow calls and some lost cow calls. And man, the, the lost cow calls, cow calls almost sound like annoying because it's just, wee, wee, wee. it almost sounds a lot like a dying rabbit to me in some ways when you do that. But that bull that Gilbert's talking about was three quarters of a mile away, came to us over a fence up a hill before he killed him, man. So it can be done, man. Yeah, we had a, a we had a stare off with him for oh, what Joe seven minutes. Yeah, I, I think I did the time on it. By the time from when he topped out the crest, and that's another thing too. Not only that, um, patience. But Derek, if you do have a bull coming up, you've got to make sure that you are within your uh, comfortable shooting range of where he's going to top out to look. You guys got to think about bull elk coming through doors, okay? They are going to what I call a stop and scan position. In other words, if if I've got a bull coming and I can see him coming from mm. 100 yards away, mm. and here I am in the brush and I'm calling where he can pin me because it's pretty open from 100 yards. He's not going to move forward. He's going to hang up. He's yeah, he's going to stop see where and scan, at. man, because yep. they want to visually see you, man. So That's why you got to call behind you. You call gotta throw behind, that call behind you, or get in a tight situation where yep. you're back behind and you've got shooting lanes, or you want to use terrain so that you are like, let's say that I have, I'm on top of that ridge, Daryl, and uh, and Derek. I'm sorry, it was Derek that asked that question, yeah. and and I'm on top of that ridge. If I get on the other side of that ridge where I'm 80 yards away, and he comes and tops out. I've already messed myself up because he's going to stop and scan. He should be able to see that cow up on top there. But if I'm all the way up there 30 yards to where he's going to top out, like we were with Gilbert, that bull stopped. And, and here's the other thing, was looking straight at us frontal. 
And it wasn't a shot that Gilbert wanted to take, which totally great with me too. So he's frontal, but believe it or not, that's a dead bull already. Why is it a dead bull? Because of their flaw. He's yeah. got to turn sideways to move. Yes, he's got to turn to go away. He's got to turn to go away. And when he turned, yeah. all I have to do is scream abuse. Stop him. Locks him in. He turns his head. He doesn't turn his body. He turns his head. He's broadside. He went down in less than 10 seconds. Gilbert just just right past Polo right. axed him, man. I, I mean, look, when, when the bull actually, when he stopped, I had to step out from the Aspen that was to my right. I had to actually make a move and step out, and he had no clue that I'd moved. You know, he heard that big bugle. Joe was standing right beside me, and so was Chav right on my six. And I had to actually move out, kind of adjust my adjust my anchor point. But when I moved out, man, the old red cherry got right in the middle of where it needed to be, and we sent it. And when we sent it, bud, it was a case sarah sarah. That bull was, I mean, it was like somebody hit him in the head with a bass fiddle. It was bad news for that son of a gun. Hey, Kenneth Sutton asked, uh, so is it quality, is it calling quality or understanding what to call uh, to use at that time that is more important. And, 100% and knowing I, what to do. When it comes to cow calls, I would say the quality is more important than the bull calls. There's so much you can get yeah. away with on the bull calls, man. Yeah. Uh, and it, it is what to give them. And, and when we use our scenario techniques, when we are ignoring the bull, when we are not targeting or, or, or calling right at that bull and responding to to his calls until he escalates to a certain point. When we do that, we're using a technique that these bulls hardly ever see. You know, you, look, you guys go out there and you give a you guys give that and you give an answer, man, right away, you're going right back at that son of a gun. So now you are engaging him. You're engaging him. Now, if he is rocking with it, that's all good. It's going to be a happy ending. But if you do that and all of a sudden he shuts up, now you yeah. got a problem on your hands because yeah, you got yeah. a different kind of bull, right? He's kind of timid. He's not really hmm, because you just went right back at him. So what you do now is you do not touch that animal. Yeah, you start, start with it. Be a lover before a fighter. Always, man. Yeah. Joe, Joe yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I have to read this. Uh-huh. Mr. D.Y. Outdoors. Manano is definitely the leader. He sends Luis out to go hunting just like a leader to send leader to send his troops. So I gotta say, yeah. Luis. You, did you did you read what, what he, he, he wrote next? And then what I wrote down below? He said no, I don't. he said he said JK Luis. And I said, please explain to Manano what JK is. He doesn't know what that means. And that's true. I don't know that what I means. Just good. Said it. Yeah, yeah, just that's kidding. That's, that's that's Joe knows, and I do. <laughs> Joe knows. Joe knows. Take that, take that, Luis. I don't want to say more, but hey, people is asking for some bear story for for Beto. Hey, Joe, before before we go there, Joe, what's yeah. that? What's that you, that you're waving around with so much yeah, pride man. and just like, yeah, what's look that, at that you got in your hands, man? You you just you, you like just to go show ahead, up like tee that? it up, Joe. Yeah, he he oh, got man. all red. Look, look at Joe. He got red. What you got there, man? We know what that is. If you're ready for this. um, Oh, no. Here we go. 
I, I don't know if I can tell this has been kind of top secret. Oh, uh, yeah. But everybody knows that I've always told you that we need a flexible tube when you're out for a solo hunter. I like it. I'm a guide for doubles. I, I can do everything on it on this. So I, I like that. The problem is if you guys have been looking for these, they've stopped manufacturing. We're getting ready to run out. So instead of crying about it, um, I started actually creating my own grunt tube. And this is the prototype. And this prototype is uh, one that has a whole different type of mouth uh, piece on one end and a different type of chamber on the end here. So that it kind of holds the tone inside. But what I like about the mouthpiece is so fitted. And then on the inside, I have baffles that kind of close it down on the inside, still messing with the prototype on how tight I want those baffles, but so that it um, actually gives me more back, uh, back pressure when I blow. The one thing about the older grunt tube here is because of its size, when you go to go into it, man, you can let some air out pretty doggone quick. And this one is so comfortable, this mouthpiece, it makes it so much easier, um, so much easier to have this to do some of the um, lip balls and things like that inside. It's just real comfortable uh, on the inside. So you're Are you seeing talking about different, different sizes there, Joe, as well, potentially? Uh, it, yes, we can actually get so that we can make this mouthpiece different sizes for different guys. So that's uh, that's going to be one of the How goals. How about the length of the tube? Um, I'm actually thinking about making this tube uh, about two inches longer, but this is the exact same size of the one I currently run, and it, it it's, it's right in where I want it to be. Yeah. Right here, so. Yeah, perfect. It throws it right back there. So I'm able to I'm able to do what I want to. So it's um yeah yeah you're seeing it for the first time right here and so cool. Uh, I, I put it awesome out there. Prototype. It's gonna be badass, y'all. Just get ready. Uh, it's gonna be really cool. We got some guys here in our mailbox. Austin Dyke from Northeast Oregon. This will be my third season archery elk hunting. And my question is, what is the best thing to do? when you're in the elk and everything is going great, but then you get busted. I've had, I've tried everything I can think of and it seems to always get busted when I'm about to finally get my chance to punch my first archery tag. I'm concealed with my surroundings and well, uh, and, and don't smell like anything but the woods. My hunting clothes I wear stay in a sand laminating bag all year until it's time to hunt. Then I spray them with stuff that I get from the woods and I hunt uh, and, and I hunt in after mixing it well with water and get a good natural scent to spray on my clothes. <laughs> Look, man, I don't care what you do, Brother Austin. I, I don't care what you bathe in. I don't care what you roll in. Those elk smell in parts per billion. They don't smell in parts per tens like we do, us flatlanders walking around on our feet. They can smell uh, your DNA, my brother. So when the when the gift from the from the wind gods get torn up on you and it hits you in the back of the neck, that's just it ain't his day to die. I can tell you that straight up, man. Look, yeah. you can do everything that you can do to be scent free. Yeah, and, and it helps. It does help. Every little help. It, prolong, it prolongs them probably picking up on it. But it, initially, when they get 
when that wind turns and hits you in the back, it's going to hit them in the face like a shitty mop. And I mean, it will flat make them want to run for the hills. Ain't nothing you can do about that when the wind fails you, brother. All, only thing you can do is try to keep yourself working to keep the wind in your favor. And maybe that means that you got to make a move while the bull's coming in to get out of that wind flow. Right, Joe? I mean, yeah. you, you, you're seeing it and you, you just got to. I, I can tell you, man, Joe and I've been on hunts together days and days and days that we've had bulls coming to us. And then just by the luck of the wind gods that they don't want that elk to die that day, they get a little gust from us. And and, 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 and look, it, it's as simple as you take all the measures, which is good, right? I mean, I even got yes. me a little ozone uh, little generator and, uh, after our trip with Mr. Mr. Paul Snort, you know, I saw he had a deal like that. So I kind of went and did a poor boy version of it and put my clothes in it. And it works great because it impregnates the clothes with that ozone smell. And uh, it really does help. I can tell that, you know, firsthand I tried it and it helps a ton. But here's the thing, man. Uh, like Beto says, they're still going to smell you at some point. And look, it's as simple as before you get heading out of camp, you brush your teeth. Now you get that mint odor in your mouth and they're going to they're going to pick up on that. As simple as middle of the day, you sit down and you grab a, a chocolate, uh, uh, something to eat. That's going to be in your fingers now. It's going to be in your mouth. Peanut butter is the worst. Peanut butter is the worst, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah man. Chocolate, peanut butter, all that stuff. I mean, you're now you're gonna have that smell on you. Yeah, elk don't smell peanut butter. Elk don't smell chocolate, and it, to them, it's just all different super smell. Unnatural. Yeah, yeah and, it's a different smell. Or, but, if, yeah. if you, but I want it, you know, because a lot of people go, "Well, why do I even worry about my scent?" Then, oh no, you, and, it helps. And one thing I got to tell you is, is it can mean the difference between getting a. Uh, a shot that's 50 yards maybe that you're not comfortable with to a 40-yard shot yeah. because it, it, I've always compared this to a, a gunshot. You know, when you hear a gunshot far away, um, it, you're not that worried about it. But if you hear a gunshot right on top of you, it scares the crap out of you. And elk are not scared of human scent. They're just scared of scent being where they didn't expect it. So mm -hmm. if they, they're used to smelling humans, so if they smell a scent of you that smells far away, it's right. not as alarming as if they catch a full nose of you or if you're just reeking like a son of a gun out there. So I, I truly believe the more you can mitigate sound, smell, uh, is, is going to be things that are going to help you, you know, uh, in the process. You don't want your bow creaking when you pull back. I, one of the things I don't like is on my pack, I do not like my pack and my shoulder area to start shh when I draw back because exactly. man, if you're on a cold morning and generally in the morning, it's real cold sound carries so far. It man. Does. And if I'm doing that and you hear that nylon shh noise as mm -hmm. you're drawing back or Manano's pants that made out of shower curtain. <laughs> I saw it coming. Yeah. You saw it coming. It's true. And, uh, I'll never forget one time Manano hunted with me in a ground blind, a deer, deer blind. And uh, he went to draw back and I went, Whoa, dude, what is that, man? 
said that dadgum shower curtain you're wearing is not going to work. It was like <laughs> deathly still where we were hunting, not a breath of wind. And he's like, oh, no, Bethel, it's good. It's going to be just fine. Man, them deer came in just like I told him they would. And he went to draw. He didn't even get halfway back. And they scattered like a covey of quail. They were like, what in the world was that? And he looked at me. I said, I told you that shower curtain's got to go, homie. It's got to go. <laughs> they can hear that so easy. You know. um, hey, Eric, Aragon, uh, you said that uh, I needed to give this bad boy a name. Uh, try this one out for size. This is going to be called the Elk Bros Soloist. And, and the Soloist. I like it, Joe. Yeah. I told you. Yeah. So, Monano, so you remember that. how to pronounce it? Just think of So Luis. Soloist. <laughs> Soloist. Uh, there you go. <laughs> oh, Charlie, I hope you told your son hello for us, man. He's way yes. more important than we are. Trust me on that. Uh, yeah. Elk hunting is expensive. Who knew? Um, but, you know, uh, that doesn't have to be the case, Ed. Um, honest to gosh, I mean, you can look at Chav and myself, and between the two of us, um, man, I mean, our bows were bows that we had had for years. Um, we ate peanut butter and jelly and bologna and cheese while we were out there. We hunted in tennis shoes. Um, we bought double X75s that we could get for, at that time, it was like 30, 40 bucks a dozen. Uh, we were getting our broadheads for six for about $25, you know, and, and everybody's like, well, you know, is, is that kind of gear going to work? Shoot. Look, it's just like this. Larry Bird, ugliest shot in basketball, but he knew where it was going to go every time, and he scored with it. Money. So if, if you can get a sharp point on the end of a stick and you get a critter 20 to 30 yards, I don't care what you're shooting, what's on the tip of it, or what's pushing it. If you got some power behind that and you're going to place it where it needs to be and up that leg, mid-body, three inches back – it's going from one side to the other, and I don't care if it's a mouse or an elephant. You take out those lungs, that critter's going down. So, yes. it, it, you know, I think hunting is expensive as you want it to be, really. And um, it's always nice to have the latest and greatest, man. I mean, I, I have a bow that I got gifted that there's no way I could have ever bought that, man. And uh, And so I'm having to do some things to honor that. But I've had my other bow for 15 years, man. Chav has a new bow because that drug pusher up there in the corner, man, <laughs> that guy with the, with the heart the size of Texas, <laughs> uh, he, he, wanted, uh, he wanted to make some changes there. Look, so. man, my guy hunted, has hunted with me for a long time, uh, the ninja Leroy Chavez, man. And, man, we had a scenario. I killed the giant, the biggest bull of my life. Okay, and called him in, and I actually called three more bulls in. I actually called six more bulls in that day, but I called two more back for Chav. And man, he just had a heck of a time with his bow. Shit flew off of it like a $3 watch, and things weren't working out so good. And he missed a couple times that were key things, and some things broke on it when he got it drawn back. And uh, like I said, I was like, that that ain't ever going to happen again as long as I'm around. I can tell you that straight up. I went I went home. I called Joe. I said, Joe, 
You think he'd shoot a bow if I get it for him? Joe goes, what? Oh, my God. Yeah, he'd shoot a bow. I said, I'm going to get him one. I said, and, uh, and that's exactly what I did. He shoots the same bow I shoot, uh, and we're going to put one down with it. That's for sure this year. So I'm excited, Chav. Yeah, me too. Hey, these uh, Joe Grossetti says, you guys sit in front of a campfire. Does it help mask your scent <laughs> the next day? <laughs> Let me tell you something here, Joe. Okay, don't start none, won't be none. It, it, it ain't Cause helping cause our, cause our case our... for the next campfire next yeah. year, man. So, look, from here forward, I'm just going to say, I'm going out on limb. We're going to have us a campfire if it warrants it, if it's cold enough, because it really didn't matter. Uh, you know, we do a really good job of understanding our wind, Joe. And if you understand that elk are, they, they use their nose for everything. It just doesn't matter what you're going to smell like, man. Uh, we know that if we get the wind in the right direction, which is in our face or a side wind, we're going to have an opportunity to close the deal on some elk. And it was never more prevalent than this year. We got six inches of snow up on the mountain on September the 9th. And Joe goes, by God, we're going to have a fire because we're going to need it. And uh, if we wouldn't have had a fire, we'd have froze to death. You know, I mean, it was cold. Uh, when you got your tent collapsing because of snow falling in on you, it's uh, it's pretty cold. And Chad would have froze to death that last night if we couldn't add, add him Look, around even, a campfire. Even, even with a campfire, like if you, if you position it correctly mm -hmm. uh, to where you're not getting that smoke all into your stuff, right? And then... Look, you know, after after the campfire at night, you're ready to go to bed. You know, if you're diligent about putting your clothes away and stuff like that, and then you know, getting getting clean clothes for the next day, that's all good. The, the The problem is if, you know, we tried to avoid the direction of the smoke. <laughs> yeah, uh, the but the problem is, is that that smoke is is going to get in your in your hair, your beard, in your skin, and look, yes, it's going to smell. But in normally we don't do a campfire uh on elk camp and it was just this one year um that the the weather uh, demanded it <laughs> yeah well and yeah. it didn't ha it didn't hamper us from and then and, 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 yet, then we and yet we kill we kill an elk an yeah. elk that particular day yeah yeah and then and then so also joe when we can we, look, we can implement it joe <laughs> we do and we always do a campfire the last, last night, night the last, last night. dinner uh, it's kind of some sort of a tradition Customary. where we uh, yep. where we do the picanha and um, the picanha, yeah, and that's the, is it good, Beto? What? It's so good, make your tongue slap the back of your neck. I promise. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> night. Hail to the yes. Grinders tuning in. Thank you for listening to the Blue Collar Elk Hunting Podcast. Our goal is to share our knowledge and help you flatten that learning curve so that you too can have some of the very same incredible experiences that have given all of us here at Elk Bros a lifetime of memories. If you like what you hear or see, you can get all of this information plus so much more from our Base Camp Elk Hunting Training Camp, the first in a series of online courses from our Blue Collar Elk Academy. Our Base Camp Training Camp allows me to use my coaching style and share almost 40 years of elk hunting experiences successfully hunting elk on public lands as well as over 20 years guiding hunters of all ages and experience levels. 
This course will be like nothing you have ever experienced in concept and structure using success-based coaching techniques that will elevate your confidence and skill sets. Our camp will prepare you specifically from that final moment most in your control, those final minutes or seconds the elk is in front of you, backwards through each step and level, allowing you to see, visualize, understand, and relate every coaching point to what lies ahead, the next step, the next thought process, the next success. Because, y'all, you've already been there. You know what it looks like. By tapping my 30 years of teaching and coaching experience, our camps are developed considering multiple learning modes with text, visuals, audio, as well as video. And base camp will benefit those new to elk hunting all the way to the 10 to 15 year vet. So if you are looking for that one thing to help you fill that tag this year, invest in the most important piece of equipment there is, you and your elk hunting knowledge. You can find the Blue Collar Elk Hunting Academy and the Base Camp Training Camp at elkbros.com. That's E-L-K-B-R-O-S dot com. Keep dreaming of the screaming, believing in achieving, and most of all, keep grinding. One thing I want you guys that, that are um, listening to think about and, and start giving us here, and before we go to one of the things that we're going to talk about is what is the one area need or skill set of hunting that most concerns you that you have questions on as far as that goes? I, you know, I've had a lot of people that have asked questions that I never even think of. And some of you guys, in fact, a lot of you guys from Oregon, um, you're in a totally different situation because you're in the jungle uh, compared to where I'm at out here, too. And people will ask me, like, questions about other states. And remember... I have never hunted out in New Mexico. Like when you were talking about how expensive things are, um, we've always, Chav and I have hunted in New Mexico. Um, we've hunted within three hours of where we're at pretty much, except for one time we got home pretty late about one in the morning when we killed a bull right before dark. Our wives think that we do this on purpose, man, that we kill elk at the last day, <laughs> you know, but um, no, I mean, uh, it can be different for different situations. So if you have a question, I do believe elk are elk, but I know in talking to buddies about the Rosies over there, and I've got some uh, great, great people that I think the world of that I talk to about this. And, you know, those animals do not travel as far because of how thick it is. They're a lot like the Rocky Mountain elk in Kentucky. They don't booger out of the country because it's so thick in there. And they're, they're not as vocal and they're a little bit more territorial. Uh, and so there's some differences as far as that goes. Uh, mm -hmm. And it's just the time of year that you guys hunt over there. And a lot of times your weather conditions are just atrocious, man. You know, it, it's, uh, it, I guess it rains sideways in Oregon from what I understand, man. It's like it comes up at you. But uh, yeah. so uh, think about that and ask some questions and uh, we'll, we'll gladly get to those. And uh, while we're waiting for those to come in, Richard Strait couldn't be here tonight. I don't think Richard's here, but he sent in an email to me, and he said that a good friend invited to, um, him to join in on a Wyoming cow elk hunting group. said that they will be rifle hunting around September 10th in a herd reduction area, and the hunts are on private land. 
do you have any tips on cow elk hunting in the early rut? I'll let some of you guys take that first. Well, let's give a bugle. The bulls are around the cows. So, you know, that's that's actually the best time. You know, if they're yeah. if they're in the rut, yeah, definitely. As a matter of as a matter of fact, Jeff, to your point, I guess um, what I've for from what I have heard from you guys is that I've never I've never been in the rut. Uh, but for uh, what I hear, if you want to actually hunt bull, it's harder to hunt them in the rut because they're surrounded by cows. So the cows usually, it's easier to get to the cows than to get to the bull, but in order to locate the cows, you locate the bulls. Is that, am I completely out of? uh, No, look, we we tell everybody, um, if you're not hunting cows, you should be, right? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. If if your target animal is a bull and you want to get, a bull you should be hunting the cows because that's where the bulls are going to be right so and then people ask me like the other way so what do you do with that well look there's three things that you got that you're going to pull a cow in with you're going to either get them with their herd mode you're going to get them with their maternal mode or you're going to get them with the breed mode those are the three things now they're herd animals there so just herd talk as you're moving a lot of times will bring cows into you the maternal where you do the lost calf and a Mm -hmm. lost cow or you do some of that insistent cow that's looking and then doing the lost calf calls for that a lot of times that maternal instinct will bring a cow to you and then the other one is the breeding cows want to breed with the biggest baddest bull there is they want a good strong mature bull to sire their child so that it can live and survive through the winter, give them a stronger calf. So by sounding like a big bull, um, that's a lot of times a tactic we use to get a bull with cows is we will pull the cows to us sounding like the bull. We're not targeting the bull. We're trying to pull the cows to us. And we can, if you've never seen a convergence before where bulls, it'll be like three bulls with their own groups of cows and they all end up in the same area. And it's for that reason, man, they, yeah. they're, they're cranking off of, that they've got a hot cow and they're bugling and those cows are hearing those other bulls and they're going to that. So that's three of the things that, that I think you could use, but yeah, find the bulls, man. <laughs> that's where the cows are. Yeah. Absolutely. I saw a question though that I thought was a real. I, I did too, Joe, and I'm trying to find. I think what do you do if if your area doesn't have a lot of meadows? Yeah. What to look for? Plenty of water and cover in the unit, but not a lot of meadows. So think okay. about this. Um, think about this. Is what what is it that a meadow is providing? It's open. It gets sunlight, so therefore it produces more grass. grass. These are grazers. So if you have an area that doesn't have a lot of meadows, then you want to find any place there's disruption in the canopy. So if there's an area that is is thin, like aspens a lot of time, um, we'll let a lot of light through and have some grass underneath. So uh, if you have an area where the trees are spread, if it's lower brush and it's put out, um, oak brush type areas. Yeah. Um, if, if there's timber cut, if there's a fire area, if there's a, um, been a, a rock slide of some kind, any place where the canopy gets broken, <laughs> because you can go in those Bush. north side bedding areas, those northeast side bedding areas, or those steep areas where they bed and there's thick trees. You can go in there. It's so dark, but look at the ground. It's like dirt because 
there's there's really no sunlight getting in there to grow that grass. It stays nice and cool and it stays mm-hmm. shaded, but that's a bedding area. It's not a feed area. So I hope that helps you out. Yeah, that's a good question. Very good question. Uh, I got one here from Mike Wilson said, just starting out, I know I need more skills slash confidence in my shooting, but I know thanks to you guys what I need to do. So I am practicing more. Mike, just keep doing what you're doing, brother. Keep stepping your distance out. Um, you know, get comfortable with them from zero to 20 and then from 20 to 30. But don't break off more than you can chew. You know, once you start tightening those groups up where you're chinking some arrows, then start placing little dots on your target where you're shooting one arrow at a time at those dots. Move out to 30, same thing. Once you get really proficient at that, getting close to that dot within a you know three-inch circle of that dot, and then move out to 40, man. And then before you know it, just keep stepping it out. 45, 50, 55, 60. If you got the room, 70, 75. You know, I mean... And I'm going to tell you something, too, adding to Gilbert there, is if you are proficient at 30 and you're hitting okay i want you to go back to 60 Mm -hmm. and i want you to shoot from 60 and yeah you're going to be a little bit all over i want you to focus shoot at 60 shoot at 60 then i want you to go up and shoot that 30 again and watch what happens (laughs) lock you in brother I'm telling you, man, because you learn when you get back, you learn to see smaller and you learn to aim smaller. And 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 I tell people you don't practice at 60 so that you can shoot great at 60. You practice at 60 so you can shoot great at 40 and 30 and 20. And it just really focuses and locks you in. Yeah, I tell everybody this all the time. These boys know that I shoot at extreme distances and um, it's not so i can if i need to that's great but it's not so that i can or kill a bull out to 120 yards or whatever it may be it's for me to not even hesitate on that 35 or 40 yard shot i mean seriously if a bull gets in within 35 40 yards of me he's in serious (laughs) trouble if i can get that bow pulled back i'm i'm telling you he's in bad shape because we're gonna get it within like that and in a place i want to shoot him it's it's case sarah sarah it's over (laughs) so again you guys keep shooting keep pushing yourselves out there keep sending them down range long range yeah you're gonna booger a few arrows or lose them buy you a little metal detector or whatever you know but it is worth it and put the time on the range in Guys, I've been bow hunting since I'm 13 years old. I'm 52 or 51, fixing to be 52 in September. Man, I'm telling you, there's nothing like like practice, right? And I've practiced a long time. Do I shoot a lot? Guys asked a question today. Do I shoot a lot? No, I don't. I I shoot a, a couple of times a week more when I'm getting approached by hunting, but I don't shoot a whole lot. I don't have to been doing it a long time. You guys that are just getting into this, y'all got to put your time in. Uh, and the reason I was going off with those sounds there, Jason Schultz asked about a lost cow. And if you've, if you've heard a, a, a lost calf and it's just a high pitch, it's just higher pitch than that lost cow sound, you know, where that, You get that lost cow, and then (coughs) 
so you get that higher pitch for the lost calf, man. And so that's what you'd want to do that. And you can get that just by kind of closing your mouth a little bit more and it gets, it gets a little bit higher pitched on that. Did that blow out too, guys? No, no, it wasn't bad at all. Yeah. Really good sounding. Um, so there was another, there was one that I wanted yeah. to also hit up here what, though. It was, was it the one about the, the bulls usually use the same areas when they're scraping off their velvet and uh, would those be good areas to target uh, come September? No, they're not. Oh, well, wait a second. Yes, <laughs> yes, they do use the same areas. No, it's not the area to target in September unless you're getting there like September early, 1st. Early. Yeah. And they're, yeah, or in that August, because those bulls are now moving from that area to their staging area, their butt staging area. So they're starting to move from where they have been and moving to where the cows are. So um, now you start finding rut areas where um, around clearings, small clearings where trees are blown up, uh, down inside there where there's like feed areas. And up on the sides of those or in corridors going from a feed area to a bed area, that is rut activity that you do want to target because bulls do like to rut their cows in the same areas year after year. And I don't think it's so much that the bulls want to rut their cows there. I think the cows are who are leading this whole thing are really in the areas they like to feed in. So the bulls know where they're at and pretty much work that in the same area. The one that I thought... Uh, um, was John Johnson here. And John, I hope you're still here. Um, it's his, one of his concerns is the unknown of big country and finding elk. And guy, that's, that's the whole battle, man. I mean, finding elk in order to kill elk, you got to find an elk, right? You know, that's right. 100%. But you know, it's just like this. It's like, like we, we said in one of our podcasts, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time, baby. One bite at a time, man. You can't look at the whole critter and try to swallow the whole thing. It's just way too much. So what you have to do is when you are in big country is you can eliminate some of that country. And so what you want to do is you want to take a look and mark certain things and look for the big four that are going to happen in there. You know, you got to have the bedding. You got to have the feed. You got to have the water right? You have to have those things that are, that are happening inside there. You know, when you, when you look at that and you start to get an idea where those corridors are and where the bedding areas are, um, where the feed areas are, and you start to say, okay, all of those are within a certain amount of, of distance from each other, whether it's a mile or two miles, man, inside there. But a lot of times it's a mile. I mean, it's, it's funny how that, that works. And they can travel from two miles to get water anywhere. Oh, um, man, in a minute, man. Yeah. I mean, it don't take them, th you know, 12 minutes to go two miles. They are unbelievable athletes and I, they I, have no problem going that distance. I know of a herd that travels six miles every morning, every evening to get back and forth from water. Six there you miles. go. I mean... It's no step for them. That's part of their daily regimen. Just like you and I go out and walk three miles a day, they do it too. So, I mean, it is it is what it is. Uh, J, uh, Scott Baker says, I know Gilbert can drop guided missiles from 80 yards on a dime, but what's the furthest would you say you should be a pr uh, proficient? For me, guys, in my practice, it's 70 yards. That's where I want to be proficient out to. But I got to tell you. For elk. Yeah, for elk. For elk. I got to tell you, everything's got to line up, fellas. 
I mean, I gotta have good wind. I, you know, I can't have a 30 mile an hour crosswind. I gotta have uh, a, a bull that's not alert, right? Uh, because they will pivot on you if they are alert and looking at you. Um, I, I need some really good things to happen at 60 to 70 yards, right? For me to you be need a good cameraman in your back too. <laughs> For sure. I mean, this Banana year, this year, camp, Joe man. called a bull on a string from a bottom down to me, and I actually had to shoot down. I knew that I could shoot that bull with one less pin because I was shooting straight down at him, and he was 57 yards. That's a walk in the park for me, you know, and. When that bull finally stopped, I couldn't believe he stopped in the window that I needed him to stop in, you know. And we sent it, man, and it was it was over with. But guys, you know, set yourself a limit. You know, you guys know what you're proficient at. I mean, if you guys can't put an arrow in a you know a five inch circle, uh, then then until you can, don't shoot that distance, you know. Uh, start trying to get proficient at 30 and 40 yards where you can get your groups like that. And then, like Joe said, practice out to six. Doesn't mean you got to take a 60 or 70-yard shot until you're proficient with that. But if you're hunting uh, out west, you're going to have some opportunities at elk out to 60, 70 yards. And that was the next question Mr. Schultz said. He said, if I could shoot like Big O, I could have laid down a bull last year, but 65 to 70 was too far from my comfort. Fantastic, yeah. Jason. I mean, look, you knew exactly what you knew you your comfort was, and you didn't take an errant shot and wound an animal and have to go through all of that that we've been through together as, you know, man, I rushed it or I took a bad shot. I knew I shouldn't have done that. So, uh, Jason Schultz, that's, that's part of being an ethical hunter, brother. And that's until true. you get proficient at 65 or 70, don't take that. Just because the elk bros can do it, Michael Waddell and, you know, all these cats that can really shoot out proficiently past 60, 70 yards, 100 yards. I mean, it doesn't mean that you should do that, right? What we're telling you is with practice and everything that you do, you can get better at it. And, uh, you know, if you if you feel like next time you need to be more proficient at 65 or 70, well, brother, get get your practice on and and get out there and make it happen. You guys can do it. I promise you, you just got to go ahead and, and and allocate the time to put in and, and the resources because you gonna go through a few resources when you start shooting at that distance. Get you a big, big target. You know, I mean, the, Brendan, this year in camp, I mean, we're shooting a little bitty block target. I mean, it ain't big at all. About as big as the screen on my on my on my uh, computer here. And we're shooting at it at 100 yards. And he's like, you guys are nuts, man. Y'all are crazy. And I'm like, man, dude, this is how you get better at that 30 and 40 yard shot, you know. Uh, so, uh, but in, that's in a great way, question, Jason. In, in contrast to that, you know, Chav has killed a bunch of elk. Yeah. And Chav, tell us about your shot choice and comfort range. Uh, I would say uh, at or around 45 max for me. But uh, most of most of the kills I've made have been around the 30, 30 yard mark or, or, or inside of that, actually. So, uh, but I do practice uh, 60, 70 yard shots. You know, right now I've I moved my target out to 50 yards and I'm shooting at, at that target now. I'll, I'm shooting 15 arrows a day when I can. It snowed crazy the last couple of days. So I'll be out of commission for probably a week. 
before the ground gets solid again. But uh, yeah, shoot long so that your your shorter shots are are right on, like Gilbert said. But you know, forty forty five, I would say would be my max. Something I want to share too that's really interesting is Gilbert introduced me uh, the other day to this thing that's happening. It sounds pretty cool. It's called Hunt Wars, and uh, yeah, isn't that what it is? Hunt Wars, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and it's real interesting because I was hearing today, I think I was listening to Garrett on, if you haven't listened to um, Garrett, we were on the uh, On Point podcast. It's yes. another great podcast. And he was interviewing the guy that started the Hunt Wars and the way that, that they work the scoring on that. And one of the things that they do is you actually get penalty points for the longer that your shot is on the animal because the whole goal that they're wanting to find out is how good a hunter are you? Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of guys came into archery to get up close to kill animals, to see how close they could get to, you know, show what kind of woodsmen, what kind of hunters they are. So, uh, it's great that you have that skill set in your back pocket if you need it. But I'm telling you, a lot of times, just a little bit of patience and you'll be able to get that type of shot. Now, there's times that it's not. I mean, an animal has come dancing out of the trees because he's caught something. And you can tell by his body language and his step. And he stops out there at 60 yards to do his fatal flaw, which is stop and look to see what scared him. He's only doing that because he's getting ready to head out of Dodge. So that's a different little deal right there the other thing is is just remember this y'all about longer shooting you had better understand that animal's behavior because the further a shot gets the more opportunity for something wrong to happen in other words if that animal is already nervous and he's at 60 yards and you take a shot and your bow is not quiet or it hears the sizzle of the fletch or it just decides at that moment to turn, now a broadside shot could end up being a butt shot mm-hmm. you know, and you have a wounded animal. So the further the way that is, the more chance for something to go wrong. Oh, yeah. The closer that is. Man, it's so much better because it only, I mean, with your arrows traveling at 270 feet per second, it's going to be there in 20 yards before that animal can even react, man. And elk do not duck. They spin. Mm -hmm. So that's something to remember as well. Okay. I got, I got another good one here, Joe. uh, It's from uh, um, Joe Grostet. He said, Joe, what's the best exercise to build up your strength to hold your uh, draw back for a longer time? Um, for me, guys, is push-ups. And another thing is I put my target in front of my TV for uh, probably a good month before season. I knock an arrow up. I put my target in front of my TV. And while I'm watching Netflix or whatever, I may be watching an elk hunting show or whatever, I draw my bow back. My, my desired goal is to hold my form for three minutes. Three minutes, and that is a long time, fellas. If you hold your bow back for three minutes, it's a long time. Uh, so that's my desired goal, and that's how I do it. I sit in front, I draw the bow back with an arrow in it, so your bow don't sound like Manano's creaking and cracking. 
Uh, at the end of the day, you draw that bow back and you hold it on your target and you just sit there and, and wait and wait and wait as long as you can. And look, I mean, if you got to let down after a minute and 10 seconds or 30 seconds, you just start increasing that as you go, you know. But that's how I get pushed up. So what's the in, – in, in, the, in the situations in which you've actually been, you know, caught – with a full draw and holding a full draw, what's the longest you think you've 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 kept your full draw there for, for, a true experience? Me? Yeah, Beto. Oh man, well, whitetail hunting or elk hunting? Either. Which yeah. which one's been the longest? I guarantee you. I've, I know for a fact I held it for two minutes and thirty eight seconds before I killed a deer last year that Logan killed, uh, filmed me for because he looked up at me <laughs> and I, I couldn't, I was not going to shoot him with him looking at me. And, uh, and like I said, I had other does after I drew, I looked down and they're looking up at me. I'm like, oh my God, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to hold this thing. So I held it for two minutes and 38 seconds and got to him and then yeah. sent it, you know, uh, but I can and, go and for- And sometimes, sometimes it's better to hold it, to try to hold it a little longer, because if you let down and then try to draw again, that second draw yeah. is brutal, man. It's brutal. Yeah. <laughs> Especially, you know, we shoot we shoot bows that are hammers, you know. Yeah. When I say that, I mean, you know, Luis pulling 74, 75 pounds. I'm a little over 70. Joe's probably 75. Uh, you know, Manano shooting 75, 80 pounds. I mean, look, I mean, these bows are, they're stout. Now, look, we do Manano have to shoot 65. Okay. These, no, these, I, he, thinks, he thinks he shoots 70, but he's 60. <laughs> these days, our letoffs are a lot better. Joe's actually probably holding, you know, 50% of what he's pulling oh back. We're God, holding yeah. a fraction of that. We're holding 15, 20 pounds, you know. What you got, so Joe? It's a um, so, one thing I was going to tell you, too, is if you practice holding long, you got to make sure you practice holding long and shoot because what yeah. you're going to find out is yeah. a lot of times when you hold a long time and shoot, yeah. you get high to one side yeah. and it, and it's just a fatigue factor with your shoulder. Right. So That's a very that, good so point. You understand that and you understand it. Look, it's not about always having to have your arrow hit exactly where you're aiming, but knowing where it's going to hit in certain situations. So yeah. that I, I hold long, Fatigue yourself and shoot. See where you're hitting with that and practice yeah, that. And you were acting, asking about exercises. Well, Ed Morris gave some there. But here's one of the things that I like to do, Joe, is if I have a barbell here, I like to get on a bench one hand down, and I like to pull up just like rows. this. Okay? Mm. And I'm going to pull one up, and rows. I can even hold that right up there. And it just yeah, works yeah. that. And even the higher that you do that, with even with your elbow out a little bit, so work it behind you work it out so that you can kind of get that because when we draw we get that we don't necessarily draw from down here this right. is a whole lot easier to pull than it is this up here sure so, most of that drawing motion is squeezing your back muscles together exactly too so yeah. i mean you're going to you work on barbells this way right yeah flies flies in and guys, one of the things that will help you too is when you draw and you have to hold, when you draw back and you feel like you're getting fatigued, if you'll take this elbow and just tuck it, 
just tuck it down just like this. Okay, now look, you're gonna you're gonna have to get it back to here to be at the yeah. right anchor, right? But if you tuck it down right here, you can hold even longer. Yeah, but you know, I, 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 I did the same, Beto, but I didn't turn my my hand. I didn't turn my release. I just right. dropped the string and I put it right. close to my chest. Yeah, sure. And I hold sure. it better. Better leverage. Right. Right. Yeah, I I did it like I don't know three or four times and and it went well. I'm not recommending it, but I did and it went well. I mean, I've done it several times. You just drop your elbow and hold it real close to your yeah. side. I remember hey, man, one morning. Cute. One morning was really was really really cold. I was shaking after I don't know 15 seconds, 20 seconds, and I couldn't resist it. I, I went like straight down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it happened. And I waited it for. Like we seconds. said, it's harder to draw that second time than oh it is God. that first time, especially yeah. after holding it, you know. Yeah. yeah, I was I was looking for this because uh, Larry Cahill, I was going to tell you, man, if you're having trouble with the peep, get rid of it and get one of the nose buttons that works with your kisser button. You know, uh, if, if you're having trouble because of your eyes looking through a peep, well, you can get some of those clarifier peeps that are bigger. But, man, yeah. I just – uh, if if I was somebody that was my problem, I tell you I would get what's a uh, Bomar Bomar the nose Bomar button. nose button. That's just that, for anchoring, and <laughs> it it gets that anchor. And if you're using, yeah. you just got to have the same anchor. That's all it's about, man. Chav yeah. has been shooting his bow uh, for how, how long now, Chavo? You didn't even know he had a peep. About a year, yeah. About a year. You didn't even know he had a peep on it. I mean, he had it on there never used it because he had never had one before and just the other day tell what was that story chad <laughs> well i was i was just like like you mentioned uh i didn't know the people's site was there and i was just shooting uh regular and you know pretty good bunch at at 30 and uh this the uh hose that Rubber, holds, yeah. that holds the peep came off and i put it back on and then i looked at it a little bit closer and i go and I said, wow, that's a peephole. <laughs> so, so, so I'm going to give it a try. And sure enough, uh, it tightened, even tightened my shots a little bit more. Yeah. But had never used a peephole before. You know, it, that was kind of kind of odd, but pretty neat. <laughs> well, Y'all have heard my story this year where I had a bull at 37 yards and I drew the bow back and boom, I got a black peep, right? I can't see anything in that peep. Well, that's the first time that's ever happened to me. Normally, my peep doesn't turn like that. My string's getting a little old and worn, so that's where you're getting a little uh, that creep in there. But you know, I, I, I can't. Worn. Yeah, I came back to camp and I was boohooing, and you know, I'd let my guy down that day, and I was I was really pissed off. I really was. So, uh, and pissed off Gilbert's way worse than upset Gilbert, right? So I said, heck with it. I'm gonna go shoot without the daggum peep. Now I shoot about six inches right uh, without the peep. So now I know, man. If I can't see through that peep, I'm just gonna aim six inches left and let it rip. You know. Uh, so I have no problem with that. And look, I, I I didn't shoot with my peep out to 50 yards, and I was still hitting where I needed to go. So, But it took that failure point for me to figure that out. So you guys that shoot with a peep, y'all need to understand, sometimes that peep could get fall out, and there's a lot of things that can happen. Uh, yeah, so the other day, I was um, after after I shot that hog, I was it was in a swamp. It was pretty mm -hmm. muddy, and I had to put the bow down. 
I had nowhere to hang it, so I had to put it kind of down on the ground to kind of manipulate the hog a little bit. When I went to pick up my uh, my bow, I realized that I had mud covering that peep. And uh, I obviously didn't didn't get a shot opportunity after that, but I mean, if I would have had and I didn't realize it, it would have been the easiest thing for me to just draw and realize my peep is completely blocked. And then, yeah, I, I'm in the same situation you were. And, and with regards to what you mentioned uh, about the nose button, uh, from um, Bomar. You also uh, shoot but, a bigger peep, don't you, Luis? Yeah, I've got, so the, the peep, I, peep? Got, I got now is uh, is from Total Peep. Yep. Uh, th- that that's a ball. Spanish company, and uh, I like mm-hmm. that design because the reason it's bigger is because it's got an hourglass shape, and mm-hmm. what that does is even if the peep is a little turned, it will still give you the same circumference. Gotcha. Um, uh, so it, it has a tolerance of how much it can turn and you can still see the same size circle at the end of the peep. So I like that. But with the, with the nose button, man, is is something I highly recommend uh, regardless of whether or not you're using a peep um, because the nose button was a game changer for me. Look, it cost me $15. I think is what they sell for. It comes yeah. in a pack of two of them, two different sizes, a smaller one and a bigger one. So I actually have them both in my two bows. He's got to use the bigger one because he got a big old schnoz. <laughs> yeah, that would be, so, that would be Manano. Yeah. So I want to give a shout out. Um, Flatlanders on here, man. Our buddy Cole. Come on, on Cole. Here. And uh, if you guys have not checked out Flatlander stuff here on YouTube, Go look for Flatlander. He does some incredible stuff on there, man. Just uh, awesome. Yeah, I've seen some of his videos, man, of his hunting videos and stuff like that, Joe, that he's got on YouTube, man. Cool stuff, yeah. brother. Yeah. He's dynamite, man. And he, and he said, what is y'all's favorite call to use to stop your elk for the shot? And 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 look, if if I have a moving animal, um, I'm either going to, like, do a, a – grunt at that animal a hard grunt or i'm gonna bugle at him man because uh, a lot of times if you have an animal that's quietly coming in and you give a cow call you can stop them and they'll look but sometimes if they're just moving through you can cow call and they just keep walking they'll walk right through your window but man if you scream a bugle at them i guarantee you man or you grunt at them you can you can just go like that if you want to, and that oh, yeah. is going to stop right there, man. He's going to turn and look at you. An elk will stop and turn and look. Yeah. You know, where a whitetail will probably jump look and run, yeah. you know, that elk is going to stop and look to see what it is, man. So, yeah. uh, For me, a cow call, if I, I have my diaphragm in my mouth, I'm either going to scream a bugle or I'm on a cow call, and it usually stops them, you know. Uh, for whitetails, when they're walking and they're walking in front of me, if I want to stop them, it's a simple and I mean, they will lock up and look straight up at you, and it is over. I mean, I've already drawn, and and my cherry has met the mark, and you fixing to get the the whistle right through the the lung area. So, uh, it's it's uh, I, I mean, you guys, when you kill, you know, I saw something on our YouTube page here just a minute ago. One of our listeners said, "When you kill the first one, it gets easier." Yeah, yeah. Now, ne- nothing more true has ever been said. WWJGD told me that twelve years ago. <laughs> Just kill one, and it'll get easier, son. And he was one hundred percent correct, right? And now, every time me and him step in the woods together, we know something's going to get it. You know, uh, all these guys. I mean, you got the mafia in the house, the ninja in the house. These guys are elk killers man they're not just elk callers these guys are elk 
killers, man. So I hunt with the biggest and baddest crew in the country. We're blessed to have these guys with us, and uh, this has been fantastic. All these guys calling in, Flatlander, uh, Scott Baker, all of them, man, that have been giving us this content tonight. It's been fantastic, Joe. Yeah, no, it's been awesome, man. And, uh, guys, we, we hope that you've in, enjoyed this tonight as much as we have. It, and, you know, we don't do a whole lot of these. Um, it, it, they Frankly, they worry me a little bit. Because uh, he, <laughs> he knows how we could get. <laughs> <laughs> you know, at 5 o'clock, just never know what you're going to get. He, he he loses the leash at that point, man. <laughs> they used to guilt, They used to big O and elk camp, son. Ooh, you want to hold your ears and put the kids away? I promise you. <laughs> but, but, and it's like this, man. It'd be one thing if we just had big O that we had to deal with. But then we got Manano encouraging big O. <laughs> <laughs> yeah guys he's sending me stuff on 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 youtube please tell us the story of the big bears big, big old. bear story uh, it's a lot it's so fun to be around these guys y'all are y'all are getting it firsthand but man i love doing the live stuff because i am off the cuff man i can straight up get unleashed and get off the chain and uh we have fun man uh, all of these guys have fun y'all y'all don't get to see it because you know, before we start our intro and everything, I mean, we got a 20-minute diatribe cutting on each other, so it's, it's pretty daggum fun, you know. And, and I am going to give a shout-out to Joe Grosset, man, because, Joe, if you guys haven't seen uh, Joe Established 73, if I'm getting it right, Joe, I think that is. Go ahead and throw Confirm on Confirm that for you here in a minute, Joe. Yeah, go ahead and throw on your uh, Instagram. Uh, I will. I'll actually put it in the chat also yeah, and, so people can see it. Joe does his own version of artwork that is oh, just awesome. incredible and he's always so kind to us he's always sending stuff you'll see it i'll post it in our stories because i'm honoring what he does out of the kindness of his heart for us and uh man you're just the bomb joe i, I sure appreciate it man fellow new mexican um and uh is is just a just a great guy always hey, brother larry gill's in the house dude way larry way, man larry. Larry. fun program dude larry gill's in the house dude glad you guys yeah and that's what we're you know before we close out here because um actually gilbert i'm gonna have you close us out but everybody that's here i want you to hang on and we're just going to read some of your stuff and we're going to just have a conversation for you for a couple of minutes but we're going to close the show out so i can end it on the recording there and then we'll just uh we'll just have some bs with y'all all right so gilbert Sounds go ahead good. and close this out man fellas if you like what we're doing please subscribe rate and review us you got to go to apple podcast or itunes to review us and you can check out more elk hunting content at elkbros.com and just a reminder if you if you are our listeners out there would like your questions answered on our show just send your questions to info at elkbros.com that is info at elkbros.com and in closing our show tonight we want to Thank our friend Tony uh, Wintrip here with his song, Fever. And uh, Joe, like we say down here in Texas to all our listeners, husbands, kiss your wives. Wives, kiss your husbands. Hug your babies. Keep your broad head sharp and your powder dry. And we'll see y'all next week right here on Blue Collar Elk Hunting. Here we go with Tony Wintrip and Fever. I can smell the noble fur 
As the wind whips through the air First day of the season I'm all pumped that we got here The coffee's on and daylight's creeping The sun's coming over the hill I wish they could bottle this rush I'm on And press it in a pill Cause I got the fever The fever The fever I can't shake It's got a hold of me Yeah, I got the fever, yeah The fever that I get in the high country Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment. 